Amen. Y'all give it up for these students who've led us in worship this morning. Appreciate you guys. And what a great, great privilege it is to have them. You've got a Bible, Genesis chapter 8, in your Old Testament, Genesis chapter 8. If you're a guest of ours, we've been going through a study on the real story of Noah. So not the Russell Crowe story, but the biblical story. And it's been amazing what God's already taught us so far. And this morning, we're going to talk specifically about brand new beginnings, fresh starts. Now, uh, the other day I came home a couple weeks ago, my kids were all excited to show me something right out in the front yard. And so they literally led me out the front door and then right beside a little tree in our front flower bed, they had a step sta- a ladder actually set up to the tree and they said, Daddy, you got to come here and you got to look at this. And so I went and I looked directly into the tree. We have a nest there and there were four turquoise colored eggs. Pretty tremendous. So the next couple of days, we've been focusing on those eggs, and you can see up here, took a snapshot of it, there are those birds starving to death in our front yard. And uh, pretty awesome here, but I saw this particular picture, and I thought, you know what, that's good, man. That's a fresh start. Those are new beginnings. And then when I saw these eggs, it made me think of four other eggs that had been hatched in our household that we call children. And uh, those, everybody else was reminiscing, right, what you little pictures, so I brought some pictures too. So let me show you really quickly some new beginning pictures, all right? So there's the youngest, that's Maddie Eve. No, that's not Maddie Eve, that's Marley Rose. <laughs> she came with petals, y'all with me on that? And then that's, uh, that's Gavin Skipper, uh, he's another one of my kids. And then go to the next slide here, that's Marley, uh, I'm sorry, that's Maddie, I don't know my kids. <laughs> We put her in there when she needs disciplinary action. That's what she's doing inside of that. And then the next is, uh, what's his name? Garrison. And uh, he's an awesome kid. That's actually what he looked like when he was born. He weighed 32 pounds. He's wearing that uniform. It was awesome. And, uh, anyway, you see those pictures, you think of new starts, new beginnings, fresh starts. But here's the deal. If we could actually take Noah and put him on the platform this morning and interview him, and Noah would begin to share with you and I a new beginning story that would trump all of ours. Matter of fact, he would share with us how a phenomenal torrential downpour came to the earth, flooded every single thing, and the only individuals who were saved were he and his family. And Peter tells us in the New Testament that there were eight people who were saved in the ark. Now, this is interesting. you got to listen. He says there are eight people who were saved in the ark. Now, the reason that's interesting is because numbers in Jewish uh, culture actually have significant meaning. And the number eight, which Peter stresses in the New Testament, actually is the number which means a new beginning. Now, it's pretty interesting here because that's exactly what Noah is experiencing. And all of us need to experience new beginnings in our life, fresh starts as well. In fact, not only do we need fresh starts, there are sometimes we just need some do-overs. Are there anybody in the house, you've had a time you wish you could do over in your life, right? It's like, I wish I could start that over. I wish I wouldn't have been involved in that. I wish I would not have said that. I wish I would have said that. So we all need fresh starts. Well, this morning, you're in luck, all right? Because God wants to share with you through Genesis chapter, and check this out, 8. Y'all down with that? Remember I just told you about the number 8. It was pretty cool. So what you're going to find this morning are three ingredients to help you with a fresh start. So Genesis chapter 8, stand with me and I've God's word this morning, if you will. I'm going to read verse 1 to begin, then I'll jump to a couple of other verses. But Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle who were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Now look with me at verse 16. God says to Noah, go out of the ark, 
you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, and bring out with you every living thing on all flesh that is with you, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word invested into our hearts. And God, even as these students are preparing for a fresh start, a new beginning in their life, Lord, I pray that you would take what they learned today and apply it to them. And God, help all of us really to grow in our faith. And God, we're going to trust that you're going to do a great work in the lives of your people this morning. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can be seated. All right, so three ingredients. Now, here's the very first ingredient to a fresh start. It's what I call a God visit, a God visit. So look in your Bible again at chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the cattle that were with him in the ark. Now, be very careful, all right? Whenever you read uh, particular statements like this, God remembered, you and I use the word remembered uh, to speak of something that we've forgotten. And so now all of a sudden we remembered it. And oftentimes if we're not careful, we will take some of the same concepts and apply them to God as if God himself can actually forget something. But reality is Noah and the ark did not somehow escape the purview of God's all-seeing eye. Nor did their uh, present condition escape the omniscient mind of our Lord God. So whenever the Bible says that God remembered Noah, it's pretty interesting. It's actually a covenant term. To remember Noah speaks of the idea of uh, finally putting out affection and turning your attention towards an individual. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He is remembering Noah, meaning he is turning his attention, his loyalty, and his love toward Noah. But the interesting thing is how he does it. So look again in the same verse, verse 1. God remembered Noah, all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And check this out. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now, you've got to listen. The Bible says that God allowed a wind to come. Now, this is awesome. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4 tells you and I this, that God holds the winds in the palm of his hand. Did y'all hear that say yes? God holds the winds in the palm of his hand. Now, in Genesis chapter 7, you and I can imagine Jesus, uh, the Father, actually having closed hands as he is pouring out wrath upon the entirety of the globe. But here in Genesis chapter 8, what you find is that the Lord takes those particular closed fists that were pouring out wrath, and he actually opens them up now, and he visits Noah in a supernatural way through the wind. So you can see Noah as he stands at the top of the boat looking out, watching the wind not hit the trees, but the wind go across the waters. Now the Bible also says in Psalm 104 and verse 4 that the winds are the messengers of God. 
So Noah now is receiving through the wind an actual message from the Lord. So what would the Lord be saying to Noah? Here's what the Lord would be saying. He'd be saying, I am loyal to you, I love you, and I am now turning my affection and attention toward you. And this is a massive concept. That God now is visiting Noah. He's right on the threshold of allowing Noah to experience a brand new beginning. Now, whenever I look at this idea of how God works through the wind in the Old Testament, I'm pretty amazed as I read through the Gospels. And here's the reason why. There's a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, highly religious in his own right. But he doesn't have a relationship with God. But he comes and he has the opportunity to hear Jesus preaching. He's pretty impressed with Jesus. And so he decides one night when nobody's watching, he's going to sneak up to where Jesus is and have a conversation with him. So that's what he does. He walks up to Jesus and finds Jesus and sits down and begins to talk with him. And says, Jesus, tell me, we believe you're from God. Nobody can do the things that you're doing unless they were from God. So Nicodemus asked the question, tell me this, Jesus, how can a man inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, how can a man be sure that he's going to be a part of God's kingdom for eternity? Now, the interesting thing is Jesus responds, and here's what he says. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, in this particular moment, you can imagine, right? Just like Nicodemus, you probably would have done the same thing. You can see Nicodemus. I mean, his, his eyebrows are furrowing. He's trying to figure out in his mind, born again? What, what do you mean, Jesus? And he goes to him now with another question. And he says, are you telling me I've got to get back into my mother's womb again and be born? And you can see now Jesus, like, just grin on his face. He's got to be laughing, careful. Thinking, Nicodemus, no, 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 that's not the case. As he puts his right hand on his shoulder and says, Nicodemus, listen, you must first be born of water, and then you must be born of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're born again. See, whenever Jesus speaks of being born of the water, it speaks of your first physical birth. But whenever Jesus speaks of being born again or born of the Holy Spirit, it speaks of your second birth. It is a supernatural act of God. Now, the interesting thing here is that C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity that what Jesus invites us to do is exchange our bios life, which is a Greek term which speaks of our biological life, trade your bios life for Zoe life. Zoe life is abundant and eternal life. This is what God offers to you and I by faith. And so he offers that in Jesus Christ. He wants to change us, cause us to be born again. Now, Nicodemus, he still don't get it, right? So he's still looking at Jesus, still not really understanding. So now Jesus moves in to try to give Nicodemus an analogy of how the Holy Spirit works to cause people to be born again. And listen to what he says, and I'll kind of give you the quote here. It's pretty awesome. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is using the wind to describe how God the Holy Spirit visits individuals and causes them to be born again. So in Genesis chapter 8, you can imagine Noah goes to the top of the ark. He opens up the door. He looks out the window, and for the first time, he sees winds going across the waters. This is an imagery of God visiting Noah. But you can remember, possibly, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, maybe you are one day in a church service like this, or maybe somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you one-on-one, -on -one, when all of a sudden you experienced something you had never experienced before. John Wesley says that his heart felt strangely warmed when God visited him. It's a time frame where the Holy Spirit began to blow in your life, and he encouraged you to change your bios life for Zoe life. 
He encouraged you to turn away from sin and trust Jesus Christ. And like the wind blowing across the very waters, God the Holy Spirit blew across your life and gave you a brand new, fresh start. So when did the Holy Spirit? Now here's the awesome thing. You go through the Gospels, then you jump into this book called Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the New Testament church being birthed. And if you open up to Acts chapter 2, you really get an idea of how the church was birthed. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit took up residence in a lot of people on that day. And here's what happened. They began to speak in tongues, that is, known languages of their time. Because the Bible says people started listening to these folks up there speaking in tongues, and they could hear the gospel in their own language. Now, here's the interesting thing. Before the church was born, before it was birthed in Acts chapter 2, before that whole event of speaking in tongues and people coming to Christ by faith, before that happened, the Bible described it this way. It was like a mighty rushing wind. Now, isn't that awesome? So here we've got in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 8, God visits his people through the wind. And now we have also a picture in the New Testament, an analogy of how the Holy Spirit ministers to you and I. He ministers like the wind. He comes and he goes. Now here's the interesting thing, right? Uh, I can't tell the wind what to do. I don't even know where the wind comes from. I know when the wind goes through because I can see the trees laid over. Same thing. I can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. I can invite him and ask him to work. I can invite him and ask him to visit and to minister to my heart and to your heart and to our congregation. But I can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. He's God. But here's the deal. When he comes, you know it. He blows through the place and he ministers to people. Now, I want you to imagine, all right? Some of y'all, y'all probably cut your grass yesterday on Saturday. So you were outside, you... Well, let's not say yesterday. It wasn't warm yesterday. Y'all with me? Let's go, let's go back when it was summertime two weeks ago. All right, so <laughs> hottest fire outside. You're out there. You've edged the yards. You've mowed the grass. Your lines look perfect. You've hedged the trim. So, you know, you've got your little tea in your hand. You're hanging out there admiring your work, but you're still sweating like a dog. And then all of a sudden, the wind blows. Y'all know how that feels. Feels good to me. I just rip my shirt off and run around. Y'all listen, I just like, give me some more wind. <laughs> I don't know why I told y'all that. Y'all all right? I can't explain where the wind came from, but I can tell you this. When it showed up, it refreshed me. And I can't explain to you where the Holy Spirit works, how he works, when he comes, when he's going. But I can tell you this. When he works, it always refreshes me. God visits through the power of the Holy Spirit like the wind. So if you want a fresh start, listen, you've got to have a God visit. And here's the deal. You can ask him. You can invite him. And you can say, God, I need you to visit me. And that's the prayer all of us should pray. I pray that coming in on Sunday mornings. I pray God visit us at Concord, minister to our hearts, do a great work in people's lives. Pray that for me as well. So that's the first step. Now here's the, the second uh, reality or ingredient of a fresh start. And it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. So you've got God visiting. And whenever God, and you've got to listen to this. Whenever God visits you, he always invites you to make a decision of faith. So every single time he visits, he's always inviting you to respond by faith. does the same thing with Noah. He visits Noah. And then the Bible tells us in uh, verse 16, look at it. Go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you, and bring out every living thing. And then as you continue to read, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Now here's the deal. Noah was visited by God, and then once the waters receded, it was time now for him to step out of the boat onto the ground. Now here's the thing, all right? Don't get confused. Noah wasn't just in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. When you add up all of the time that Noah was actually in the ark, he was in that thing for over a year. 
So my man Noah was hanging out, and the last time he had his feet on the ground, it was right before the great flood occurred. So whenever God says, go out of the ark, that is a step of faith. He's about to leave the place of safety and step onto the ground that was just submerged before his very eyes. So he had to completely, totally trust God. But the Bible says that's what he did. He stepped out, and that's why Hebrews chapter 11 describes Noah to you and I as a man of faith who walked with God. So that's what he did. Now here's the deal. God visited. He now had to step out in faith. And you can see it, right? You can see him step out on the ground, and every single footprint in the sand is a reminder of his trust in God. Now, think about it like this. I, I'd never thought about it till today, this morning, actually. As I was looking over it again, it's pretty crazy when you think about Noah, right? It had never rained before the flood. But after the flood, rain became somewhat of a normal concept of seasons. So can you imagine Noah and Ham and Shem and Japheth? Those are some crazy names, right? Could you imagine them? They're all hanging out one day after they've gotten out of the ark, and they're working out there a little bit, and then all of a sudden it starts to rain for the first time after they got off the boat. Man, I would have punched those kids so quick and ran back to the ark. Are y'all listening? Like, get up out of the way. It's amazing the faith he had to have to walk with the Lord. Now, here's the deal. God visits you. God visits me. God visits those who don't know him personally. Now, here's the awesome thing, right? You can be in church today and God can visit you. You don't even have a relationship with the Lord yet, but God visits you. Here's what I've discovered. Over the past few weeks, I've had some conversations with men who I feel like God's visiting. And God's encouraging these men to turn from their sin and become Jesus Christ's followers. Turn from their sin, trust what Christ did on the cross for their salvation, and be saved. So I'm listening to these guys, and I feel like God's really visiting with them, and the Holy Spirit's working. But here's how they've responded. I've had a few of them respond like this, all right? They say this, well, I'll tell you what, Levi, I feel like I just need to be a better man. I'll tell you what I need to do. I need to start going to church. I, I think probably what I need to do is maybe I should start doing this or doing that or start being a better employee, start being a better man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they lay out all these things they feel like they need to do because God visited them. They don't know how else to respond, so they say, I, I need to work at this thing. And what they're doing is they are responding to the visit of God by works and not by faith. And there's a difference. I want you to see the difference, right? When you respond to a God visit saying, oh, i got to do this, 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 so I can impress God and God will be all right with me, you are responding with a reformation attitude. Uh, reformation. Uh, it speaks of reformed behavior. It's pretty interesting. When God visits and people don't know what to do, they start creating lists of do's and don'ts. And what they're doing is they want to live by that so they can ease their own guilty conscience. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be a better dad. And they go through this whole list. It's, it's works. They're trying to now impress God with what they can do. But here's the deal. When God visits you and he invites you into a relationship, he's not inviting you into a relationship of reformation. Listen, if you want your behavior to be reformed, join the military. They'll reform your behavior, Right? He's inviting you into a transformational process. Uh, this is whenever you respond to him by faith, now the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and he begins to transform you, listen, from the inside out. Reformation is, trans is being changed from the outside in. Transformation is being changed from the inside out. He changes your heart. He changes your affections. He changes your passions. He changes you in here, which just happens to show up out here. That's what God invites you to do. He's not inviting you to try to figure out a better way to live. Check this out. God's not in the process of making better people. God is in the process of changing people altogether. 
And there is a difference. God doesn't want to make you a better man. God wants to make you like Jesus. It's not a new and improved you. It is a reflection of his son. That's what he wants to do in your life. And whenever you respond to Jesus by faith, you are, like Noah, stepping out and trusting in God's work to actually free you from your own sin. Now, here's the deal. Jesus, when he died on the cross, I want you to think about this, all right? When he died on the cross and he was up there, last three words that he uttered. Anybody remember what they were? Yeah, yeah. Say it out loud. What was it? I forgot. Yeah. It is finished. What's finished? Here, here's what's finished. He absorbed the full wrath of God in his body in that moment for you. He was the clean being slain for the dirty. He became sin who knew no sin so that, check this out, after he pays the penalty of my sin on the cross, he now can actually grant me forgiveness and righteousness all by grace. It is a free gift. Nothing that I do, I simply trust God, and by grace through faith in him, that is when I am completely changed. I'm going to ask you, you're in church today. Is God visiting you? And that's the decision that you need to make. Now, here's the deal, all right? God can visit you as an unbeliever, and you need to step out on faith. You need to trust Christ and be saved. But God can also visit you as a believer. So let's say you know Jesus Christ personally. You've been walking with him, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So you know the Lord. But here's the deal. Every single time you come to church or you go to a Bible study or somebody's talking about Jesus, God visits you with the same thing. Each time you hear something about the Lord, he is always now bringing to the forefront of your mind perhaps something that you still need to be obedient to. So let's say it's a, a broken relationship. You've got a problem with your mom. You've got a problem with your dad. You've got a problem with your wife, your husband, your son, your daughter, maybe a coworker, maybe somebody here in the church. But every single time you get alone and you begin to listen to God and God visits you, God always, I mean, it's like he just pushes it right there to the forefront of your mind. And he's saying to you now, you must restore the relationship. Because here's the deal. Your horizontal relationships, well, uh, whenever they are messed up, the, it always messes up your vertical relationship. So the Lord's saying, all right, if you're in tune with me properly, right, when you vertically are right with me, you're going to have this desire to get things right with other people. And so you're not going to have this desire to keep bitterness and keep unforgiveness in your heart. And God always brings that to the forefront of your mind. He tells you over and over again, you need to restore that relationship. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be obedient. And here's the deal. Some of you need to, listen, step out. By faith. You don't know what to say? Trust God. He'll give you the words to say. Listen, God wants to restore that broken marriage. God wants to restore that broken relationship between husband and son, uh, mom and daughter. God restores the relationships even among us. He does this by grace again. But we trust him. We've got to step out by faith. Hey, listen, is God inviting you to do that, restoration? And then check this out, all right? God can also invite the believer and maybe encourage you not to restore a relationship but to break one off. So you may be a follower of Jesus Christ, but the relationship that you're in right now is an ungodly one. One outside the divine parameters of God. And every single time you hear preaching or singing or anybody says anything about Jesus, it's almost like shows right back up in your mind again. Boom, there it is, there it is. Got to be obedient. You need to do this. You need to do it. Listen, you don't know what you're going to do. Step out by faith. 
If God calls, listen, if God calls you to do it, he's going to take care of it. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. My man Noah, can you imagine him, right? Whenever God comes to him and says, hey, Noah, I need you to build an ark. He tells him how big the thing's going to be. If I were Noah, I'd be like, where am I going to get all that wood? God provided all the wood. And when God calls you to step out and calls you to do something, you say, well, what am I going to say? How's God going to provide for all? What is, how am I going to accomplish this? Trust God. God takes care of you. God will provide for you exactly what you need to be obedient to him so that when obedience happens, all glory goes to him. Are y'all listening? Now, God visits individuals. God visits unbelievers to invite them into a relationship. That may be you today. God visits believers and invites you to a step of faith. That may be you today. And God also visits churches. Isn't that awesome? And I will tell you this, all right? God has visited Concord, and we give him glory for that. I can't explain how he does it. Can't explain why he works, when he desires to work, how he works. I can preach the same thing in three services. And in one service, God seems to really just grab hold of people. In another service, it seems like everybody's about to fall asleep on me. So why, why, what is that? I, I can't explain that, but I do know when he visits, it's always a step of faith for the church as well. And God is calling you and I as a church body to step up as one man and begin to move forward in a direction where we are going to have to have faith. Last Wednesday night, our ministry expansion team shared once again where we are in the progress of our 777 vision. Over the next seven years, planting seven Concord campuses, and we're going to be involved, God willing, in seven countries. So as we see a door opening in White County, you know what this means? This means as that door opens, we're going to have to have people who are going to have to have faith in the Lord. As God says, I want you to go there and be a missionary. I want you to go there and make an impact in that culture. I want you to be a part of that new satellite plant. And listen, some people are just going to have to step out. And some people are going to have to say, all right, you know what? As a church, we know if we're going to keep reaching people, we've got to do something. So we've got to step out by faith. We've got to trust the Lord. And here's the deal. When God visits and we step out by faith, that's when new beginnings, new fresh starts begin to occur. And I'm all about that. Now, can I give you all the last ingredient? Y'all still with me? Say yes. The last ingredient, very, very simple. All right, so what do we got so far? God visits. You're called to step out by faith. But here's, here's the third one. Enjoyable worship. Enjoyable worship. I want you to see this because this is pretty awesome. Look at verse 20 and 21. Um, the Bible says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took every clean animal and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the Lord. Hey, by the way, or on the altar, I'm sorry. But listen, you, you remember what happened, right, whenever they were getting the two-by-twos? But then the Bible said, the Lord said, hey, we're also going to get seven of these clean animals. Here's the reason why. He's saving these animals for an offering before God. But here's the part I want you to see, verse 21. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and then the Lord said to himself, I'll never curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Now, you got to listen, all right? The Bible says that he got off the ark, and I love it. Are y'all paying attention? Because this is awesome. God visits, he steps out by faith, and the next natural response of a man walking by faith is to worship God. That's the natural response, all right? I'm not even saying supernatural. It's like whenever God visits and your faith come together, it's like the, the automatic thing that's going to happen is genuine, authentic worship. And that's what he does. He gets down. He, he begins to offer up these sacrifices to God. And the Bible says that the Lord smelt it. 
smell good. Now, when I think about uh, soothing aromas, I automatically think about scented candles. Are y'all with me? Matter of fact, I bought one for Krista. I was so into this message, I said, I'm going to get a scented candle and take it home. I really bought it for me, but you know, you got to go in there and tell them you're buying it for your wife. You know what I'm saying? So I go up in the iron accents like a man. Hey, y'all got any candles that smell? I want to buy one for my wife. <laughs> Ring it up. It's <laughs> because I'm a man. You know what I mean? I had to walk around and drag my knuckles. <laughs> so I go to the house and we light that thing up. You know what it smells like? Apple pie. <laughs> you can't even take a nap without drooling. Right? <laughs> Smell good, man. Now you think about this, all right? The text says that the Lord smelled the aroma. So whenever I use the phrase enjoyable worship, look at the preacher, I bought, I bought. I'm not talking about enjoyable worship to you. I'm talking about enjoyable worship to God. Big difference. And what do we do when we think about worship? Here's what we think. I like that song. I didn't like that one. That's for me. That's not for me. I enjoyed that. Not so much there. But reality is, the question ought to be, is God enjoying this? Does God smell our worship as a congregation and say, that is a soothing aroma? I am so pleased. Now, just because it came to my mind last hour and it's now coming to my mind again, when I was a little kid, right, I don't know, I was 8, 10 years old, somewhere around in there. I was at the supermarket, and my daddy asked me to come down an aisle with him. It's one of those aisles where they sell all the stuff you can clean your house with. And my daddy says, come here, son, I want you to check this out right here. Come smell this. Smell it. Smells like lemons. Well, I run over there to him, you know. And I take the biggest whiff of that lemon-smelling thing I possibly could. Only one problem, it wasn't lemon. It was ammonia. Isn't my daddy cruel? <laughs> now, the reason I bring that up to you is because Jonah chapter 1 gives the imagery that God could actually smell the wickedness of Nineveh. And it was a stench. And in Genesis chapter 8, it says he smelled the aroma of the sacrifice. And it was wonderful. If God were to... You know, you know they teach us this in middle school, right? Whenever you're in... A, the class, you know, and you got to burn the beaker, and they're like, take a sniff of it. They don't want you to put your nose on top of it, right? They want you to waft it. Y'all with me on that? Waft it. If the Lord did this little number to you, what would he say? The book of Hebrews says that we offer up a sacrifice of praise with our lips. That's worship. And when God visits you and you truly step out by faith trusting him, you will always find yourself worshiping God. It's almost like you have this own individual scented candle of worship. And when it's genuine, you light it up and God smells it. Now, can you imagine what church would be like if we all came up in here and lit up our scented candles? And God began to look at Concord and God continued to work at Concord. And God said, man, that place smells so good. That's what he wants to do. But he doesn't do that in a church collectively unless he's doing that in the members individually. God visit, step of faith, enjoyable worship, enjoyable to God. So where are you at in all of this? What's God calling you to do? What step of faith you need to take? Let's bow together. Father, what a great privilege it is to be in your house this morning. 
And Father, I pray for those right now who need to place their faith in you. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you're here today, and you, you know God's visited you, and maybe you've responded like some of these others I've been talking with, and you, you've just responded by works. You're like, I got to do this, I got to do that. But this morning, God is saying, no, 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 step out and trust Jesus. He paid for the penalty of your sin. You can't work off your sin. Trust Christ, who is buried and resurrected. Jesus wants to offer you Zoe life, abundant life, eternal life. He wants to give that to you now. Not reformation, transformation, inside out. If you need that this morning, would you pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud? Just say, God, I need to turn from my sin today and trust you. I want to step out and totally trust in your finished work on the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for getting up from the dead. Now help me to live a life unashamed of who you are. And give me a brand new, fresh start today. Make this an eighth day for me.